Good morning. You're listening to Breakfast Bites, and I'm Felicia King. Joining me today on the show is Rui Lopez of WatchGuard, officially sales engineer, top technical enablement, customer enablement, merging the difficulty of the technical matters, the vision of what you can do with things, what you should be doing with tools and strategies, and really driving that to making customers be successful with the products. It's got great field experience and uh, I've had just wonderful conversations in the past with Rui about the convergence of knock and sock. And it's been, I think, a bit of a hot topic for both of us that we're passionate about. And then when I encountered this uh, interview that was done recently with the CISO of Fortinet, I said to Rui, this guy says nobody's been talking about it. Well, we've been talking and talking and talking about it. <laughs> so so we, we need to just go public with this in a bigger way and talk about this big vision. And now, uh, Rui, you brought something to my attention that didn't quite you know, jump out of that, that interview uh, with the CISO of Fortigate or Fortinet. Um, but you pointed out that he was talking about knock and sock convergence at the network layer really, and had not talked about the endpoint layer. So give us a little bit what you were talking about on that. That is true. Uh, That's why I thought it was really interesting was that the whole um, convergence architecture between uh, knock and sock was being discussed in the context of the myriad of tools that they offer uh, within the CM, within the network operations, within security, within that, and endpoint wasn't mentioned. When our discussions, and when I mean our discussions uh, between you and I have been always hinging on the perspective of the endpoint in the context of the Panda WatchGuard acquisition and how, <laughs> how I came to be part of WatchGuard and how we yeah. started having those discussions. Because when we released our EDR uh, platform back in 2015, that convergence story was already there in as much as we built, um, we built a telemetry collection uh, system for our endpoint sensors that brought a wealth of data that we saw the potential for way, way beyond the security, the base security services that we provided and still provide, and even beyond security. So we're, uh, we're talking about it also in the context of when we wanted to pitch our wealth uh, or the wealth of the endpoint security um, telemetry that we generate, we uh, ended up discussing it in the context of you can go beyond security. You can use this tool as a shadow IT tool. So you can customize security services beyond the services that we provide. And you can use this wealth of data also to uh, get insights that are not just about security. It's uh, it, They are very re- relevant also to your IT management as a whole. So, <laughs> and that ends up being a, a conversation that now we can pivot in that uh, convergence and stop talking about shadow IT. Right. right. So you make know, so- this tool part of your set of tools rather than running a side gig where you leverage endpoint security data for purposes beyond security. Yeah, I think one of the things that always triggered me was the this proliferation of agents on endpoints. And I've been very focused for years on this entire approach of saying, well, how many agents can you actually put on an endpoint? And so if you can find a product that has 
interact interoperability effectively with what is occurring at the network layer. And I'm not talking exclusively about the network layer telemetry that's driven by the agent on the endpoint, but also correlating that with literally the data coming out of the network appliance. And that's mm -hmm. where I had been actually doing that manually in our organization. We'd been doing XDR for a long time, but been doing it on you know, we were throwing manpower at it, basically. There was not a converged tool at the time because in the Wayback Machine, I mean, I think we've been, we started doing that around 2009, really having this kind wow, of paradigm. That was early on. <laughs> yeah, so we were having this paradigm because see, I've always been concerned about, you have these technical controls in place. How do you know the technical controls are working? Well, you know, so the, the thing we have to think about is it's not a matter of no news is good news. No, no news is just no news. That's it. So you have to not only have positive confirmation that your, you know, you have to also this have this positive confirmation that your technical controls are actually delivering the outcome you're looking for. So I was very concerned about this topic of saying, we put these technical controls in place. How do we know they're working? Well, you really don't know the answer to that when you cannot visualize the entire stack of information flows. So what I mean by that is, here's what would go through my mind. I'm doing knock and sock converged in the Wayback Machine. Mm -hmm. I know the users. I know the machines. I know the company, the applications that they use, the hours that they work, you know, time of day. I know all of those things, right? This is just like in the vault of my mind. And then I'm looking at what's occurring at the network layer simultaneously with the data that I'm getting off of the endpoint and also data that I was getting out of other cloud hosted systems. And we were manually aggregating that data and delivering this picture. And I think it's, you know, now this whole big brouhaha over the MITRE attack framework. Well, I mean, shit, we were doing cybersecurity kill chain in the Wayback Machine and we were looking at the entire tech stack relevant to all of that and saying, okay, well, is the technical control at this level being effective? Well, what about the next level? Like where, which component of the control matrix stopped the threat? Where is it getting through? How far is it getting through? And so this entire concept of converge knock and sock to me was like, it was absolutely the most intuitive thing. Natural. To Yes, it's almost natural. I can't comprehend a scenario where you can adequately protect an environment when you don't have full visibility into all of those layers in a converged manner. And it's really kind of only recently that the world has even started to shift towards that true converge nature. And I still feel like the entire SMB market is grossly underserved because a really good dedicated sock is like $100,000 a year. And then look at like a high-end SIM with UEBA with converged XDR with like a SOAR platform. Well, that's baseline $40,000 a year per company. Absolutely. So, you know, so <laughs> and I'm going to say something shocking here. <laughs> but I'll own it. And vendors have security services to sell, right? There are vendors that have a posture in which 
I'm, I'm not going to say they don't want it to give you all that visibility. They want to give the right amount of visibility for their services, their specialized security services to still hold some value. And there's something beyond you're paying for. So there's, and, and there, the way you look at this, there's something very important in the way you look at the, this whole convergence, uh, which is, and very dear to me, it's when you say, I can do it better, I mean, generically, because I know the, 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 the client. I know their habits. I know how they work. I know their structure. And there is nothing to a certain extent that can uh, replace that, that, that knowledge. But then on the other hand, uh, on the other hand, you see difficulty in the field, for example, at getting uh, access, full access to the kind of data that enables you to do what you've been doing since 2009. And I think there's a reason for that. There's a balance that vendors want to keep between giving you access to that data and the services they, they have to sell. And yeah, that's, they... that, may, may, that may be a market hindrance to that convergence at this stage, at this stage, right? Well, I mean, I think there's a lot of factors there. You look at like, I mean, I'm just going to pick on Sentinel One. You know, I think they have a good product, but it doesn't do patch management. So now, how are you going to do patch management? It, you know, now you've got to throw another agent on there. It has no true telemetry integration with what's actually occurring at the network layer, whether you're using a SASE or an appliance, right? Okay, well, okay, we, now we have a visibility problem, and then if you're going to use their SOC which again, I'm not against their SOC, but their SOC has no knowledge whatsoever of the technical controls that you have put in place for your clients. And so they can't look at that data and make that instantaneous judgment that says, whoa, that shouldn't be happening, right? So I have fundamentally always rejected this idea that says that the people who do the technical controls should be different from the people who are doing the monitoring. I think it has to be the same because mm -hmm. from, you know, my real world experience for going on 20 years here is that the way that I know the technical controls are working is by having visibility into the data. I can't tell you how many times it was being that I was looking at something in, in a log or a report and I'm like, wait, what is that? Should that actually be happening? And then I'll go drill into it. Well, does your SOC, if you're doing an outsourced SOC, does your SOC actually even have that as an objective? That's probably not even in the scope of work of what they're paid to do. Correct. Correct. Exactly. Exactly. That's why it's, it's a different perspective. That's why in WatchGuard today, as you know, we don't have MDR services to sell. We do not have MDR services to sell as a vendor, and we don't right. want to be there. What we do have is a set of what we call service as features built into our endpoint detection response platform. And we're, we're discussing, pivoting the discussion around endpoint because that's where we, we always get to that convergence and the, and the story about the XDR and how we will, um, how we will uh, correlate that endpoint data and, and what we have in the network in the evolution of our threat sync platform and within the WatchGuard cloud is something for 2022. But today we have at the endpoint layer, two service as features, which is this, the ability to implement zero trust. To, so to classify and ensure that all binaries that are being run in environments that we protect are attested goodware. So they are not malware. 
And also the other service, base service, which is threat hunting that deals with when we only allow uh, goodware to run in the environments that we protect uh, the endpoints for, what happens when that goodware is weaponized? So what, how do you get the rest of the picture? Well, the rest of the picture is we tell our partners, if you want the full endpoint telemetry outside of the telemetry that, or the data that we generate in the context of a malware alert or a threat hunting IOA, that data is available for you to customize the services you want to offer to your clients. So either through our advanced reporting tool platform or by streaming the endpoint data from our backend to your own data analytics tool, it doesn't need to be a CM. It's anything that can, can receive the formats that we generate. Then you can uh, leverage that same data to even to build the kind of services you, you want to provide with it. And we'll, when we add the network stack next year to this, you will have added possibilities because you'll either use WatchGuard Cloud to do that correlation, or you still, still have the ability to do it within your own data analytics platform or within your SOC. But there you go. The information that you get, the data that you get there is relevant to SOC and NOC. And one of these days, you're going to have a tool for both because you already have it. In right. your practice, you already converge those, those, yeah. uh, those roles. I, I just had to invent it. And I've had so many other MSPs come to me and say, oh, well, you know, how do you do it? And it's like, hey, I'm not going to give away the candy store. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but, but, um, <laughs> the recipe I, of the cake. <laughs> that's right. Um, so I, I want to throw out some, uh, some comments on some of the things that you said. Um, first, I've been very, very happy with the extremely granular device control that exists inside of Adaptive Defense 360. I think it's extremely helpful to be able to not only come up with a, you know, a baseline policy that says, okay, well, we're not going to allow USB flash drives, but then if you needed to allow a specific USB flash drive, you could do that. That's extremely granular device control that I haven't seen in the vast majority of other endpoint products. Then mm -hmm. with WatchGuard Fireboxes, all of these years, I mean, all of these years, long, 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 super long time, there has always been the capability to construct real-time monitoring and alerting on a wide variety of events that does give you if you're doing converge knock and sock, it gives you that ability to know, is this a pattern at this particular site? Or you can see a pattern across 100 sites. Because I'm ingesting Absolutely. data events from you know, over 100 sites. And, and as a result of that, I get to see, oh, well, there's a bigger pattern going on here. And that level of data that you have, it is extremely meaningful in terms of how you formulate a response. So is it, you know, is it a bug that's happening? Is it a bad uh, signature set? Is it just a, a, D, a widespread DDoS attack? I mean, it could be any number of a wide variety of things, but how you formulate your response is directly associated with the quality of the data that you're getting. So again, if you've outsourced that function, and you're not looking at that data. And again, if you don't know your client sites, so you don't know what should be happening there. Oh, right. I mean, 
then I feel like there are just going to be things that are going to be missed. And I've seen that happen with some other socks is they look at it and go, well, you know, we think that's just noise. But see, because they don't do the technical controls themselves, they don't know that that's not noise. They don't know that there's an opportunity for tuning and improvement there. And then I've he actually heard from a number of folks who have outsourced their SOC that they've had some challenges with actually getting data back out. So they'll outsource the SOC and then they oh, don't yeah. have direct back end into the same system, you know, that the SOC techs do. And so then the customer of the SOC is asking for data and the SOC will way too frequently say, we can't get that data for you because the response time on our system is so bad. <laughs> and, and the thing that I've really appreciated about the advanced reporting tool and you know the back end that WatchGuard has for that is I have beat the heck out of it and I have not had performance issues and I really have pushed it hard. So that's- you're, I, and, Because you're working against a replica of the, the backend database that is exclusive to your environment. And that's a, that's an easy way to fix it. But again, why would you not be interested in fixing it? And the other point you make, which is, which goes in, into everything I believe in, in this, in this space and what we've been uh, trying to enable our partners with is the time limitation. Why 30 days? If, if our threat hunters work out of a data lake for our entire deployed base of 12 months, why should we give, provide less than that when you go yep. with the tool like advanced reporting tool? Why should it be 30 days out the box? We provide 12 months. Again, because you, we want you to explore the possibilities of that data, not limit your ability to, uh, to correlate it with whatever, whatever you are doing or discover cor correlation possibilities well, that I mean, you're we not have, looking into yet. We have years and years and years of, of large data telling us that you know industry-wide um all it systems everywhere worldwide threat actors are in environments for longer than 30 days <laughs> so you know if you Much have any longer right so sometimes it's like 240 days so if you actually want to have any sort of forensic incident response if you're limiting yourself to 30 days, it's just, it's a preposterous thing. And I've been very disappointed in a lot of the SOAR platforms that are out there, not just in how obscenely expensive they are, but also that it's 30 days. I'm like, what am I supposed to do with 30 days? So I, I don't know if their idea is that you just set up a bunch of like Yara rules based upon OS query events or whatever in there. And it only needs the last 30 days because it's just going, the system is only specified for alarming and alerting, but no, I mean, does that as a paradigm even work? I mean, for me in the SMB market, I don't feel that that works. I would much rather have this vendor consolidation having the least number of agents possible and consolidating that telemetry into an aggregated XDR platform. And there are, I think, I personally think there's only two companies that are even trying to do that. And WatchGuard is one of them. And I think Fortinet mm -hmm. is trying to do it as well. Interesting. Yeah, that definitely. Uh, that limitation because and, and again it goes back to 
our view on uh, or our take on the on how you can leverage the possibilities of the telemetry is much more related in providing you a means to access and leverage the possibilities of the data than replacing your ability to build on it by offering the service ourselves. I think that's a critical factor in what we do and how we look at it. But it's not that we don't have services included in our products, don't, don't get me wrong. We are the only vendor uh, that provides any level of threat hunting services included in the base purchase of the EDR. It's not an MDR and it cannot be because it's included in the license. So it is a set, a fixed set, a, a, a fixed and evolving set of IOAs that are being in one, uh, some improved, some added, but again, they are anonymous in that sense. They are generated against what we see and developed against what we see in the data lake of all uh, the endpoints of the, that we that we protect on all the sensors that we have uh, out there. But it does not replace that knowledge that you keep talking about. That is right. the source of success right. in actually protecting your clients. It can't because it cannot. It right. simply cannot. Yeah, as where I think the the paradigm is so good because the paradigm is, you know, WatchGuard is saying, look, we're going to give you these tools at that you can provision at even a very, very small scale. You know, I mean, you, you could do it with literally one endpoint. You could literally provision a 10, a ten totally. with <laughs> one endpoint totally. and have so and have all of that. Now, I what I I, I will caution from the perspective that and this is going to be true for any product across the board. If it isn't configured properly, you're not going to get the type of quality outcome that you're looking for. So I do still vehemently believe in the competency and the experience and expertise of the people that program the settings inside that tenant. And that is never something that anyone should ever expect the manufacturer of any software to do because it has to be customized to that particular customer's unique needs. And I have turned on a number of companies to the WatchGuard Endpoint Protection product. And I have coupled that with a project where I helped them program their tenant. And then I told them all of the tips and tricks of like, don't do this, right? And part of the don't do this is you don't create exceptions. Oh, one of the really fascinating observation I've had over like the last 10 months here is that a lot of the incidents that have occurred, and, and I know this from talking to a lot of incident responders, they're, you know, of course they do post-incident response and they're looking at trying to get at the nut of what really happened. And mm -hmm. a lot of times what they're telling me is the causation of the breach. So the breach vector was exceptions where then whatever the endpoint product was or whatever the network layer security was, it had no visibility into being able to protect against that thing. Or the configuration was, well, if something happens here, then just do nothing with it. So that's fundamentally an exception as well. So the challenge that, or I think really the big change that I've seen is that there are now tools on the market, very rare tools, but there are tools on the market which you can run successfully in a zero trust mode with no exceptions or, you know, microscopic amounts of exceptions and be successful. But you do still have to have some techniques and tactics for that 
Uh, but, you know, three years ago, I, I couldn't say that there was actually anything that I knew of at the time that was as robust as that, was as mature of a product set uh, with regards to the way you could drive zero trust and just be okay with no exceptions. We evolved a lot. I mean, we, we five years ago or 10 years ago, we were talking about set and forget, right? Which is something that makes me cringe because <laughs> it's never about set or forget. And if you do not want to set and forget, and if you set too much, you run into holes created by exclusions and that sort of thing. So at the same time, you made uh, you can make zero trust possible at the endpoint. You got to change the tuning of the solution or its base services also has to shift from the 30-year-old antivirus exclusions to something that is a bit more sophisticated, that it's based on a criteria to pre-trust an, a new application, like we implement with the allowed software feature in our EDR, without necessarily stop looking at it. So right. you can trust you can trust the digital signature, you can trust the series of criteria for a binary that you do not yet know if it's good or not and allow it to run in that process. But while you're looking at it, not replacing your visibility or replacing your ability to look at what it does while you're classifying it. So that that was a major evolution too. And it's a major evolution in making zero trust, the zero trust approach um, possible without it becoming with the exclusions, the opposite of what it pretends to be, if, if you know what yeah. I mean. Yeah, the, the piece that is absolutely critical there is the, the, the operational maturity development of the IT services team who is managing that. Like, I'll give you a great example of this because you can utilize an excellent tool you can even have it configured excellently. But then if you don't have excellent processes on how to deal with challenges, it all goes to the poop bucket. So I'll give you a great example. You're dealing with uh, a particular application server. You're doing an upgrade. And then something gets blocked because it hasn't been seen before. And so that might actually end up breaking something. Now, you have to figure out how to deal with that. Well, what was your backout plan? You know, did you clone that virtual machine before you tried mm -hmm. that? And then, you know, what type of a response are you going to have? Are you just going to leave it alone and let it scan it and then classify it as goodware? Uh, are you going to uh, set up an approved application? And then how are you going to do an approved application? Are you going to do it for just the, the MD5 hash or whatever, right? So what I'm telling you is that there is artistry here. And I feel like the massive amount of time that I spent into learning the product and utilizing it extensively in many, many, many production environments caused, and, and of course, my big focus always on I always want to use the most tight, small, tiny precision screwdriver <laughs> for, for any sort Absolutely. of approach, not the big hammer. Like I do not ever want to use the big hammer. It's always got to be the precision screwdriver. And when you challenge yourself to do that, yes, it's more cumbersome and yes, it's more inconvenient. Yes, it takes more time, but I would much rather have the inconvenience of when it's under my control 
versus the inconvenience of somebody took a shortcut and didn't utilize this this opportunity to figure out what the new approach needs to be. So this is the evolution of improving your processes, your operational maturity about how do you upgrade servers? How do you upgrade custom business line applications? How do you do these things in a zero trust environment? And I have been very dissatisfied with a lot of the other competing products on the market with what they, they don't do the classification system the way that Adaptive Defense 360 does. They just don't do it the same way. So they're basically expecting you to configure exceptions. So again, it's an exception. And that's a big on, thing because you, you can't evolve on focusing on how your strategy to fine tune the product is if you are key, or if you keep getting stuck in approving applications yourself. In getting provided right. the richest right. telemetry in uh, in the industry, but then you have to make all those decisions. If your right. time is spent on making all those decisions, you can't evolve to what you were just describing—a strategy right. where you leverage on what you implement in three in the three first customers to then use it on the ten next clients that you're gonna uh, protect or that you're gonna build a right. security strategy for. That's right. why that zero trust. Uh, that's why that base set of services, including the zero trust application service as a real service within the agent and the threat hunting is so important to be bundled in the EDR strategy so you can focus on fine tuning the rest and again, right. leveraging the possibilities of that right. endpoint data. Yeah, I mean, the, again, I go back to the paradigm for me works extremely well because it's a paradigm that says, yes, we're backed up by a threat hunting team who this is all that they do for a living. And they have visibility into an incredibly broad, expansive global data set. So like the example I gave before, where I can see data from hundreds of fireboxes coming in and, and develop trends and patterns from that, well, they're mm -hmm. developing these patterns and trends from the telemetry coming from hundreds of thousands of endpoints worldwide. So the paradigm works beautifully because I feel like it's putting the right people in the right job function, you know, in the right execution of control throughout that stack. Exactly. And, and putting you and your place in that stack at where you should be to leverage the possibilities of the, of the combination of those base services and where you want to get at with the security posture. That's, so, we keep going back to the service as a feature concept, but that's, that's our vision, right? So Providing I have a question for you. Service. So why do you think that this hasn't happened previously? Like, why is it that it's just, you know, I don't know. I feel like it's been the last year and a half here that, that the, the overall kind of global community has just started to really think about this and it's still evolving, but why, why didn't this happen a long time ago? Well, because I think a part of it is because in, in a layered security strategy, we've been, again, going back to, to buzzwords and buzz sentences, we've been uh, talking about the perimeter dying for a decade now, but <laughs> we only saw the consequence of that uh, in, in, everyday, uh, in everyday admin and user experience in the last 15 months. Now it really died, right? <laughs> yeah. Now it really died. So now it's now on, or never, for example, to be able to bring uh, 
uh, zero trust to the, to the endpoint security posture and realizing the endpoint has become even more the real target. And these latest high profile attacks, ransomware attacks, has been just confirming that. So it's do or die. <laughs> so this do or die situation brought this, this, not only the discussion, but the execution of those visions uh, to the forefront. So you're, you're able to deliver it or not. So I remember several years ago, I did a podcast on the topic that the authentication was the new perimeter, right? The authentication moment itself was like the new perimeter. And there's so many things in, in kind of the information security space that frustrate me in many ways from the perspective that I feel like there are thought leaders out there, you know, like us that we see the problems, we know the solutions, we talk to people about them, but the only thing that actually really tends to shift the needle is when there's a giant dead cod slapping people in the face like COVID that's like, well, everybody's got to work from home now, so we have to come Nothing up. Nothing worse like that, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and I think this year has also seen the culmination of the insurance companies have finally realized that they are tired of getting their rear ends handed to them on a stick with regards to ransomware. So there's this, you know, this difficult position where the federal government is like, we're going to make it a crime if you pay ransomware. And the insurance companies, well, they don't want to pay ransomware. And their actuarial process was just very poor in the past. They were not pricing risk. They were not assessing risk. And so I've been seeing every single client, every single even prospect, their new cybersecurity risk assessment questionnaire is infinitely more sophisticated than it ever was before. And still, even in that realm, the questions that they're asking, so the security risk assessment that the insurance company is doing, I still feel like they're asking the wrong questions. I'm not saying that their intent <laughs> is bad, right? Their intent isn't bad, but it's their questions that are bad. And so- And, the mo and their motivation is right, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. But in yeah. certain aspects, they might not be there yet. But there are, I mean, there are geniuses out of the, um, out of the bottle that are not coming back to the bottle recovering something I heard on, on, uh, on the 40 net, um, podcast. It's, mm -hmm. it's never going back. So th th we just gonna, it, that overall strategy is just gonna build on the acceleration of, for example, the zero trust impl implementation that, the, that brought to the endpoint and to the network architecture that depend on it. We're just gonna build on that to, to sophisticate, to recover your, your expression, to sophisticate whatever still needs improvement. Well, to, you know, to that point, the weakness, I think, is still exists in the collection of more telemetry data and triggering rules based upon that. It also uh, exists in the lack of a SASE component that is part of that endpoint agent. Because, uh, you know, the thing I've been talking about the last decade is, You've got to have the, the least number of agents possible on endpoints because you have to manage an interaction effect. And it isn't just that. It's a, a matter of, gee, how much RAM and proc can you throw at 
endpoint agents versus what the user needs. Yes. <laughs> you know, right. Like, so there's definitely an upper limit from a common sense perspective. And the more independent things that you have to manage that you have to make work together in this interaction effect, the more burden rate for managing that overall security stack solution is. So I still feel like there's very few companies that are in a strong position to be able to provide that forward vision saying, you know, look, we, we have got the network layer nailed down tight. Now we've got endpoint layer. Now we're doing the cloud layer. We've got the authentication layer. You know, we've got the DNS layer and, you know, this, this whole vendor convergence or this um, manufacturer convergence mm -hmm. is where I really think the industry is going and needs to go, which is why I'm so unhappy with all of these conversations that people keep having, having about, you know, who's the better EDR EPP. That's just, in my view, such a tunnel vision, siloed myopic view that that isn't, that's not the name of the game. The name of the game is how do you secure the entire information flow, ingress and egress on every endpoint all the time. And an endpoint, I, I might, I have to interject here, that an endpoint is also an IP phone. It's an IP speaker. It's a physical oh, access absolutely. controller, right? Mm -hmm. So by saying, oh, well, we're just going to go sassy on everything and we don't need these network layer security appliances anymore. I just call bullpucky on that. Because how on earth are you going to secure all the rest of these devices that you can't install an endpoint agent on? Yeah, you're just going to run on into the walls of your own cage, right? In your own restrictions, if you don't if you don't consider that an endpoint, and if you yeah. don't build a strategy for that, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So, so sh shed on me any other salient, uh, you know, final thoughts uh, in this wrap up section. Go for it. Well. The, we and to your point, in 2015, when we uh, deployed our, when we released our EDR product, we thought we would have a, a depth of telemetry uh, in the endpoints with the data that we collected. At the time, it was very security centric, and then we realized the potential, like we've been uh, talking about uh, extensively. But now, what you're saying is starting to completely make sense, and since that. The, the, these things that are not going to change will require us to go deeper in the telemetry. If we want consolidation, if we want, as, uh, as it is our philosophy to have our partners leveraging or even creating the set of services they want to provide with this telemetry, we're going to have to expand on that. And that expansion is very much related also with the possibilities that we are going to build into the XDR platform that will deliver in 2022. So the acquisition was just the endpoint added to the stack. The acquisition itself was last year. So we have, uh, we are going to deliver in 2022 the consolidation and the correlation of and, and the, the first uh, the first iteration of of the end, the wealth of endpoint data that we've uh, developed on our own as Panda Security and and what we already have with WatchGuard. That will be. Those will be very exciting times because that will also decide or determine the level, the deeper level we want to get at with uh, adding more telemetry into the endpoint and why not into the network as well. 
with that cross visibility. So those will be very exciting times. I'm looking forward to the time when things are so mature that we can even configure alarm notifications for things that we think should never be happening. So we'll give you an example. Right now, I would like to know if log me in is ever happening. I want to see it. I would like to have a special alarm notification for that. Now, some people may perceive that to be noise, but if I've put in a technical control that I say log me in is blocked, and then I'm seeing in a weekly summary report all the instances of log me in being blocked. So that's great. Yes, it's all logged. And yes, I can go after that data after the fact. But I'll tell you something interesting that happens when you can do real-time alerting. You see that alert come in. You can pick up the phone and you can call that end user at your customer site and say, hey, what are you doing? And they'll be like, oh, <laughs> I, I'm, on, I'm on Facebook. Oh, really? Because you know, I'm getting an alert right now that shows that you just visited 78 malware URLs that were blocked. You know, they were blocked. But you see, when you have that real-time data and you have that real relationship with the end users, and you can just call these people up and say, hey, what are you doing? I'm getting these crazy alerts from your computer. What are you doing? There is a level of data that you can get from that that I feel is astronomically powerful. And I ended up sending out a letter to clients telling them, hey, get off of Facebook. Just get off. Because there was a whole pattern <laughs> of like three months where a huge number of users just continue to trigger, trigger malware URL alerts. And all these people that I was calling, they're like, oh, yeah, we're on Facebook. Why are you on Facebook? <laughs> you know, like, so, so it's right. And we, also know the characteristics of those users if you can profile them. And for example, some, something that we like to do, establish a relationship between the number of occurrences in the endpoints that or in the devices that they use and how they rank in the, mal the number of malware alerts that are, uh, that are generated, whether it's yes. URL reputation, whether it's classifying unknown applications from those users because they should have rights that they don't have, et cetera. <laughs> that is well, critical. Nothing can replace that. Yeah, I've done, so I've, I mean, I've actually experienced that where we have a, a minor number of clients that uh, are not utilizing as rich of a security stack as we would like them to. And so as a result, their endpoint product has to take more of the brunt of the load of blocking the bad stuff. So the bad stuff still gets blocked. It's just that normally in all the environments we manage, the bad stuff is getting blocked higher up in the stream. So it's getting blocked before it actually gets to the endpoint. Mm -hmm. And so... That's, you know, to your point, I noticed that because, you know, I'm looking at these alerts and I'm saying, what's going on? And I call up the person, what are you doing? You know, <laughs> and I see these alerts continually from these same individuals. You do definitely absolutely put together a pattern of that correlation of, of what are these commonalities between these people? What are they doing? Why are they generating these events? And uh, I mean, every week I look at security reports and I absolutely do make configuration adjustments 
as a result of it. I use it in both ways, not only a positive validation that the things that should be happening are happening, but I also use it as a negative validation that things that are blocked are being blocked. You know, and I don't know anybody else that is doing this, Rui. Do you hear about this from anybody else? It's, it's, it's a level of, it's exactly, that's the execution of our, what our vision is into providing the ability for you to correlate that data in a way that it's relevant to you and to the services that you want to provide. And that's, that's definitely what make, will make next year exciting. And if you think that the watch card, the unified security platform, we've been talking a lot about network security and endpoint security because of this convergence, but our platform is also about multi-factor authentication and secure Wi-Fi. So the possibilities with generating and correlating telemetry on that and keeping that, keeping that vision of provide services with that telemetry as WatchCard, as a vendor, but do not miss out on the ability to let your partners and your clients access that data and customize their use for it and build their own use case because nothing can replace that in their strategy. There's no level of MDR that can, as, as expensive as it is, that can get to that. I think this is the main message in that convergence as well, because you're bringing, also bringing the security and the network teams together. And right. You need, yeah. Yeah. The final you need summary it to be of it. Rich enough. Right. The, the final summary of it is we can do all the UEBA that we want, you know, the, but ultimately, the view of the people who know those end users, know those applications, time of day, those organizations, what's normal, what, what's not abnormal. You, you just can't know that if you don't know the people and if you don't know the technical controls that are in place. And so separating, separating those functions, separating the, the people who know the technical controls from the people who are monitoring what is actually occurring I don't see that as, as a viable separation. I never have. And I don't know why this isn't just logical across the board. Cause you know, like I remember the first time I talked to you about it, you're like, well, yeah, of course, this is the way it's supposed to be. <laughs> that, that notion is very dear to me because it has everything to do with what I see out in the field every day. All right. Well, I uh, really appreciate your time. This has been uh, an invigorating conversation, as it always is whenever we chat. And now absolutely, we've, we've officially <laughs> gone public with the knock and sock convergence topic. <laughs> well, At least there are two other people talking about it. <laughs> yeah, that's, right. that's right. I'll have to send a link to this uh, to the CISO of Fortinet and see what he's got to say. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Rui. And uh, have, thanks for having me. Have a, have a fantastic week. You too. Thank you.